All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, part two of the SEC basketball conversation with Locked On Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless. Uh, if you didn't catch part one, I uh, would highly suggest you go back and listen to that first uh, as we sort of pick up uh, where we left off uh, in that conversation. Uh, we talked about a lot of things uh, in uh, the previous episode, uh, looking ahead uh, to next season, what some of these teams could look like, and uh, we did that again here in part two. Uh, some of the things that we focused on, uh, we're looking at Ole Miss and how the Rebels are adding uh, some transfers to the mix that could help them uh, rebuild their roster and get back to the NCAA tournament. Uh, obviously did a good job getting there in year one, under Kermit Davis, uh, and then last season uh, just lost some close games that probably would have been the difference uh, in them getting back. So uh, Ole Miss uh, trying to reload with transfers. We talked a bit about that. Uh, Arkansas being one of the teams that uh, is certainly going to be uh, among the best in the SEC next season. Uh, I would be surprised if they're not. Um, They're adding a a big transfer of their own in Jalen Tate and uh, Vance Jackson as well uh, from New Mexico and how those two guys uh, could impact uh, this Arkansas roster, which still uh, has some unknowns when it comes to uh, the NBA draft uh, and all that. But uh, for the most part, you've got a team that's going to have a top 10 recruiting class, uh, adding a couple transfers to the mix. Uh, The Hawks should be one of the best teams in the SEC. And so we talked about that. Uh, Looking at the future of SEC basketball officiating, which was a hot topic uh, here on this podcast and on social media, uh, as we went throughout the season, uh, Mark Whitehead, who was the coordinator of SEC basketball officiating, has resigned from his position. Uh, We talked about what that could mean uh, moving forward for the league and uh, just looking ahead at some of the other teams. Uh, That could be preseason top 25 teams in the SEC. Uh, And Spoiler alert, there could be several of them uh, as we look around the league and, and look ahead to what is probably going to be a much better season Uh, for the SEC than this past season, which we kind of looked at as a transition year for the league. But uh, next season should be completely different. Uh, And as I've said before, probably would be surprised uh, if the SEC doesn't get seven or eight teams into the NCAA tournament. It could very well be the majority of those uh, could have the potential uh, to make it to the Sweet 16 and beyond. So uh, another great conversation. with. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Locked on Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless. Blake, how much have you been able to keep up with the transfer market and the grad transfer market? Because I want to talk a little bit about two specific players who are joining the league, um, but you may not have had an opportunity to do that yet, so I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I've got stuff in front of me, so it makes it much easier for me to have that conversation. No, listen, there are, I mean, what is there? There's probably a thousand of them in there uh, at this point, but no, I I've kept up with most of them. Like we said, there's uh, there's a lot to keep up with when it comes mm-hmm. to the transfers, uh, but uh, there are some good ones uh, coming out of the SEC this season. What do you think about Domencio Vaughn? The, not so much him yep. individually. He's transferring from Ryder to Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I thought underachieved probably based on at least where they were ranked going into the season for SEC media days they did that they lost a lot of close games like that doesn't really matter to Ole Miss fans but like the season could have gone much different if they were able to defend a little bit better and you know someone not named Rian Tyree could have scored occasionally but they were 15 and 7 they won 20 games and made the NCAA tournament and Kermit Davis's first year they lose Tyree but add Domingo Vaughn there's I think some good players namely uh, Jarkel Joyner. There's a lot of excitement yep. about him. Do you feel like this is an Ole Miss team that 
I don't think this is too high of an ask or, or too high of a bar. Like, can they just be the seventh best team in the league next year? Just middle of the road. Yeah, and I don't think it is either. And that's one of the underrated aspects I thought when, when Andy Kennedy was there um, is that you look at all the years that they finished in the top half of the SEC and it, you know, they were never that, that top team. I know, you know, they won the tournament that one year, but they were never considered that top team, but they were always right there in the mix for the most part. Um, And I don't, I don't think that's a tough ask quite frankly. And here's the problem, I guess is I don't think that's a tough ask for any team in the SEC to feel like your goal can be to stay in that top half every year. Uh, But as we know, somebody has got to finish, you know, one through 14 and so that's not going to happen for everyone. But I think that can be your goal no matter who you are now in SEC basketball. And, yes, that even goes for a team like Vanderbilt that struggled in recent years. Now, I don't think they're going to be in the top seven next year. But, like, we know how good Vanderbilt has been basketball-wise traditionally. Um, so I think for everyone in the SEC now, you have the resources. Um, you know, you have the coaches in place. We've said this could be one of the best coaching rosters in the history of the league uh, just from top to bottom. And knowing all that, you know, that that can be a realistic goal. And I think you add someone like Vaughn to the mix. And and, and we, let's be honest, too. You know, we don't ever know exactly how these guys are going to fit when they come from a, a lower, you know, major school um, into an SEC school. It doesn't always work. And I'm not saying it's not going to work for him. I'm just saying that's what we do when we try to judge how players are going to fit right. uh, into these specific roles. But you look for someone like him. You know, he scored it well, he rebounded it well, uh, and he gives them exactly what they need, and that's a guard because they did lose Brian Tyree, and we know they're going to get Jarkel Joyner added to the mix as well. But, you know, Kermit Davis, he likes to have the guards that, that can really play, you know, in his system, and, and knowing that, quite frankly, it's a guards league in the SEC. We look around at all the just outstanding guards uh, that are in this conference, and you got to have a lot of them, uh, especially you know if you want to be able to play that type of style, like we just said. Uh, how you combat a team like Alabama or Auburn or uh, Arkansas or teams like this who are playing that high tempo type of style? Uh, you got to have guys that can get up and down the court, and you got to have guys that can handle the ball uh, and be able to score it from the guard position as well as guard too. So uh, I think you know adding him is an important addition for them, and I think bringing in Jarkel Joiner too. I think both of those guys. We'll be able to come in and help. And look, I mean, for someone like Vaughn, not just the stats, right? I mean, it's someone that's got some experience, uh, especially when you're losing a guy uh, that probably, you know, on any given night, go out and score 35 mm-hmm. points. Uh, that's not going to be easier to place, so no matter who you bring in. Yeah, you mentioned Vaughn's versatility. He's 6'5", about 220 pounds. He averaged almost 15 points. He shoots nearly 40% from three. Uh, look, I-, I think it's a fantastic addition, and they needed more toughness. That's been... And it feels cliche to hear a coach talk about that, but Kermit Davis was pretty persistent with his complaint about his own team and about his, I guess, his own coaching staff's inability to find a way to defend, especially uh, off the dribble penetration late in games. And toughness, as cliche as it sounds, has been part of his desire. I think he believes he's found that in Vaughn. So let's go to two other topics at least uh, before we wrap up, Blake. Jalen Tate, you mentioned Arkansas earlier, like Alabama as a team that I don't think people will be surprised when they are consistently better moving forward. What do you think about Musselman adding Jalen Tate from Northern Kentucky in addition to your earlier comments about them being a team that probably has an opportunity to finish in the top four of the league? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll tell you this, and 
you know, writing the the preview for for Blue Ribbon uh, that I do, you know, that's that's one of the leagues that that I I do each season is is the Horizon League, and um, you know, there was a lot of debate, and of course, you have to put together your your preseason, you know, first team and all that, and um, I looked around at a lot of the others, and and for some reason, Jalen Tate wasn't on a lot of those lists, but when I saw this guy, I'm like. Seeing him play the last several years, it's like this guy is without question one of the best players in that league. And I think he is going to be a fantastic addition for Arkansas. And again, he's going to be a fantastic addition on a team that is already going to be very loaded uh, from a talent standpoint. Uh, And so, I, I mean, I think with Arkansas, I would be very surprised if they are not... And I, you know, maybe they maybe they can be good enough to compete for the SEC title. Uh, I don't even think that's out of the realm of possibility. But I would probably be surprised if they were to finish outside of that top four, top five, um, with the opportunity, like we said, to best case scenario, they could win the SEC. Uh, but you know, if they were to be in that two to four range, I think if you're an Arkansas fan, you would be very happy with that uh, as well. It's just uh, with Muss, I mean, we know uh, we look at how he plays, what his, you know, how he likes to play stylistically. Um, you know, they're not a team that is going to have, you know, your traditional big guy in the paint and, and slow things down. He wants to have guards that can get out and go and spread it out um, and be able to take teams off the dribble, be able to shoot it from three. And I think all the talent he's added uh, and adding, you know, Jalen Tate to the mix, adding Vance Jackson. Uh, it's just he's got the guy. He is so good. One of the things he's so good at, I think, is identifying the guys that will be perfect fits in his system. And you know what? Sometimes it's not always easy to do. You may go out and get a guy that you think could play well just based off of stats and all that. Uh, but you know, as many guys as he's pursued over the years in the transfer portal, uh, it's just, he seems to find those guys that fit. And even last year, you know, you can go back, Jimmy Witt, uh, I thought, you know, he, he found a way to make it work, uh, in that system. And yes, some of the other guys, you know, were a little up and down and that's going to happen. But I feel like Jalen Tate though, is just an unbelievable addition for him. I, I was hoping that Arkansas would be one of the teams or anyone in the SEC, could land him because he is such a really good player um and look you add experience to a team that's going to have a lot of incoming freshmen that uh, are really talented but they're also really young uh so arkansas gonna be right there i'd be surprised if they're not all right on a totally different direction mark whitehead stepped down as coordinator of sec men's basketball officiating now i am not relishing in that because i don't know what is the cause if it was his call or if there was just such an outcry about the officiating and lack of consistency that, you know, Greg Sankey decided he had to go in a different direction, regardless of what happened there behind the scenes. What I do know is that there isn't like a set group of officials like there is for football. And there's a bit of a misunderstanding, I think among fans. Now, It is true there's a general rotation, I think, in part because of geography and the ability to get to certain games, but it's not quite the same as as football. On the other hand, there was evidence, very clear evidence, and you and and I have talked about this, that the league, I think, hurt itself not only in terms of an entertainment value because the game was stopping and starting so frequently, but also I'm not convinced that there were only four teams that needed to be in the NCAA tournament this year from the league, but... I believe you can contribute part of the officiating and the style of play to, to being damaging 
to some teams, especially in close games where a random call could go against you. And if you're a bubble team, like one or two games, one or two calls can do that. So do you have much of an opinion is my long way of getting to this point? Like, does this move the needle at all? Or is the SEC SEC still likely to have this problem next year? Well, I mean, I think it's significant on one hand because it is the person, you know, who was assigned as, as the person who, you know, coordinated all the officials. Like they're and, listening and made, a little, yeah, I think. Like, yeah, exactly. And so I think it is, it has to be significant in that sense uh, because you are making a change, you know, for the first time in four years. And it is coming off of a season where, you know, we all noted, I mean, we, we've gone through this many times. We discussed it, you know, on your show there. And, and I know there's a lot of other people that have discussed this. Um, just the, the, the numbers were just staggering in terms of uh, the SEC's free throws and fouls and all that. Now, that's not Mark Whitehead's fault. Um, I, we have to keep that in mind. That's not not the guy who is the coordinator of officials. That, that's not his problem uh, necessarily. It's more of a college basketball problem, but I think the SEC basically this past season and really in recent seasons, I think it's taken it to another degree. But like you said, it's not just the fact that it's the SEC officials. These guys are officiating other conferences, um, and it's a matter of how the game's called given – I guess the talent that's in the SEC and the style of play sometimes that we see in this conference. And we have to remember, too, is the SEC has never really been a three-point shooting league. I think it has never been a great outside shooting league from top to bottom every single season. Now, yes, there have been good seasons where you have good shooters, good shooting teams. Uh, but it's always been a conference that's more probably more based on slashing and, and trying to get to the rim and get to the free throw line. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. This just could have been, you know, one of those years where um, you had a lot of that and the expanded three-point line could have caused teams to, to have a lot more potential contact sure. trying to take it to the rim. But I think it was still such a glaring problem to where maybe this is the SEC's way of saying, hey, you know, we've got to try to find a way to fix this because it became so glaring and, you know, it wasn't just – we were pointed out on social media – uh, you know, fans were picking up on it and all that. Um, but I think it just became when you watched an SEC game, it was so harder to watch than some of these other games. If you just casually tuned in and you see an SEC game going two and a half hours, a basketball game, um, that's that's not what you want to watch with the game, you know, having 75 free throws and 80, you know, 60 fouls, something like that. Um, so, uh, you know, teams have to adjust to the rules, I think, with the way they that they are now. Uh, but I also think officials have to adjust to the way uh, the game is called a bit. And uh, we'll see, you know, if this has any impact uh, overall. I don't know if there's going to be just a glaring difference. So I, if I'm someone out there thinking that it's going to be, I'd probably, you know, reserve my, my expectations on that just yet. Uh, but uh, it's certainly, you know, it's a meaningful, uh, you know, decision here, no matter which way you look, because now somebody else steps in and it's probably just a matter of does it get better or does it get worse? So. Blake, to throw some context to what you're saying also, these numbers have been compiled from Josh Vitale of the Montgomery Advertiser. This was done, I believe, back in February. Oh, no, the beginning of March, actually. Um, total fouls committed. The SEC led the way in all of college basketball with 7,746. Uh, the next closest team was at six or conference, excuse me, was at 6,900. That would be the ACC fouls called per conference game. The SEC led the way there over the Pac 12 at a clip of 39.6. 
The next highest uh, conference, Pac-12, I keep trying to say team, is 35.4. And the number of teams averaging at least 17 fouls per game, this one was really glaring. The SEC had 11, whereas the Pac-12, the next closest conference, only had seven teams averaging 17 fouls per game. So to what you're saying, it is a bit complex and messy, but there's no doubt the SEC had a difficult time legislating what was and was not a foul. I want to go back to where we started with, which was your comments about Tennessee. Uh, I think a lot of people are paying attention to what they're bringing back and what was perceived as sort of a bridge year this past season. And I think a number of folks will have them in front of Kentucky, albeit a bit early to make too much of a prediction. Florida certainly seems like a top 25 team. And I believe Arkansas will be a fringe top 25 team. Should Alabama, Auburn, or any other team be in consideration or be in the top 25 to start the year for what it's worth. It doesn't matter that much, but it's a good talking point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's the we, we always say that is uh, I think there's very few things more meaningless than a preseason top 25 in basketball. Um, LSU also, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, LSU, right. LSU could probably be in that mix too, but, but yeah, it's just because there's so many games played. There's a lot more movement, and, and we've compared that before. It's it's different in basketball and football because there's a lot more games and there's a lot more potential for, for movement throughout the season when it comes to rankings. And, and as I always say, take the AP poll uh, with a grain of salt sometimes because uh, even if, you know, I, I love some of the guys that, that vote in the AP, but even they'll tell you, uh, there's no way to watch every game right. for all these teams. So <laughs> it's impossible to be able to, to tell you exactly what that should look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned some of the ones and LSU is still going to be really good. I mean, I know Trenton Wofford, you know, could still come back and all that, uh, that, that obviously plays a role. And it's the same for Alabama too, you know, with John Petty and Herbert Jones, if they were to get both of them back, I mean, Alabama, I think would be right there, even in losing their best player in Kyra Lewis. Um, I think Alabama would have to be considered close to that preseason uh, top 25 type of range. Don't know that they'll be in there, but uh, they'd be pretty close uh, if they got both of those guys back. If they only get one of them back, uh, maybe that that's a difference a little bit, but uh, I don't know how big of a difference that would be. And then, you know, beyond that, you mentioned Auburn. I, I'm, I'm not someone that thinks Auburn is just going to completely drop off and finish in the bottom four of the SEC or anything like that. But I think it's understandable to have some questions uh, about how they're going to replace uh, so many players from from that senior class and Isaac Okoro, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and even with Sharif Cooper coming in. I mean, he's going to be outstanding, but uh, th- they're going to need more help and they're going to need more depth. And I don't know if they have enough of that depth right now uh, just based on how the roster is constructed. But, um, you know, there's still possibilities they can still land some of these guys to transfer. And that's what we have to keep in mind, too. Like, remember, we're still only third week of April, I guess now there are still going to be players transferring around the country. Like we're not even close yet, I think, to having these these transfers finished. Um, so there's still going to be players out there that can dramatically change, you know, the landscape for some of these teams in the SEC. Uh, and Auburn could be one of those teams based on, you know, who could transfer in. Um, we, we know, you know, there's still lots of possibilities with that. But uh, I do think, you know, inevitably i mean i think they have to take a step back a little bit uh but uh how far of a step back that is probably just depends on who else they're able to get uh to add it to the roster but still going to be talented they're just going to be really really young and probably uh you know one of the younger teams uh, in the country next season i think you can make a case they'll be the most intriguing team in the league because they've actually been relevant the last few years most of auburn basketball's program history you could forget that they were in the conference and you're right they lose almost all their production 
from this past year, and they've got some talented young guys that only played sparingly and then a top-10 recruiting class. But as you mentioned when we talked about Kentucky, it's just tough to get all that to come together. Calipari's used to doing it anyway. Bruce Pearl has not had to rely so much on freshmen and sophomores. It'll be an interesting offseason for sure. Blake, can't thank you enough. I don't know if you agreed to do this entire conversation. We've been going pretty long, but I appreciate your time, man. Where can people hear you? Uh, Many of you listening are probably already aware of where that is. And also, where can people follow you? Listen, I mean, the, we go long in these because we can both use this conversation, Fantas- right? Yes, so uh, that's that's the beauty of the Locked On Podcast Network. So, uh, no, like you said, Locked On SEC, uh, you can check out uh, all the SEC stuff there, bouncing back and forth uh, between football, basketball, and uh, like everyone, uh, I know there are some weeks, uh, you know, where we're not doing five episodes a week like we were when all the action was going on, but uh, still keeping you, uh, you know, up to date on everything going on and uh, follow me on Twitter probably for the the most frequent stuff, uh, and that is uh, at the Blake level. Blake, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time, and let's do this very soon. Sounds great, Painter. Thanks. All right, that was the conversation with Locked on Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless, and uh, thanks again to Painter for the discussion. Uh, a lot of fun to talk about some SEC basketball, and I know uh, everyone is, is thinking ahead uh, to SEC football season and what that could look like, uh, but we did want to throw some basketball in uh, just looking ahead and knowing uh, that uh, this is sort of that that big uh, stretch here where you have a lot of guys transferring um, you know recruiting as we know has been uh, you know still kind of going along uh, with some big players uh, making their decisions on their school of choice and so it's fun to look at these uh, rosters for next season and try to figure out uh, what that could look like in SEC basketball so and just as a teaser uh, for next week on the podcast right now planning on having a discussion with an SEC basketball coach, and uh, I'll leave it at that uh, for now. But uh, should be a fun conversation, uh, as always, with him. And so uh, you can look forward to that coming up next week. Uh, so be sure to subscribe. Uh, head over to any podcast app you use. Just search for Lockdown SEC. And for everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. And uh, with the NFL draft uh, underway, and it was a very fun first round with lots of SEC players off the board. Uh, if you want more coverage of the NFL draft, Just tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NFL Draft for great NFL Draft coverage. But uh, thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked on SEC Podcast, part of Locked on Podcast Network.